Thank you so much for joining me on the second episode of my podcast, David. Yeah, Tony, it is a blast to be here. I'm so excited. So for the folks who don't know uh, exactly what you do, and I think you'll explain this better than I would, what exactly do you do? <laughs> yeah, so I help professional speakers clarify and amplify their message through bold branding and strategic storytelling. So what that ends up looking like is typically a website, a brand, some digital marketing materials that help amplify the message. Um, but we really start by asking a lot of questions and digging into, well, what is your story and how can we tell your story in a way that's exciting and relevant to your audience? And how can we differentiate you and make you stand out from all the other folks who are out there? So I know um, it took quite a quite a few different, uh, I want to say journeys for you to kind of figure out where exactly you were going with that line of work. So can you take us back to the beginning a little bit on exactly <laughs> how this all started for you? So drum roll, let's start back from the beginning. Yeah, we need like a, a fade out music or something. Yeah, um, yeah so it started uh, completely not according to plan at all. Uh, I was in middle school in the mid 90s and got assigned to be the computer ladies tech helper at my middle school, which I was not particularly excited about at all. Um, it wasn't a class. I was sitting in a tiny room with who I thought at the time was an old lady because when you're 13, everyone's old. Um, and uh, so we just kind of worked through things like building the middle school's website and creating audio video presentations for, you know, assemblies and stuff. And despite initially feeling, uh, feeling like I was stuck there, eventually it started feeling like it was this cool perk. Uh, I remember one day I got to go to the school district building and sit in a room full of bunch of adults and work on like the newest Macs, which were, you know, whatever's one step above a Mac classic at that point. And we got to learn new HTML skills. And we learned things like the blink tag, which thank God has gone away. But like if you're if, if you're listening to this and you don't know what the blink tag is, look it up. It was a scourge yeah, upon the I'm internet. One of those people. <laughs> really? So <laughs> the blink the blink, tag is. the blink tag was literally just like like any other HTML tag. But the word that you entered instead of like an A or like a strong was blink. And it would make the text blink at you. And people would use it all over GeoCities in nineteen ninety seven. Um oh, and it was it was like Think of think of like the worst MySpace profiles you ever saw back in the day. It was this was like the early prototype version of that. Um, but anyway, so we got to learn. I got to learn all of these cool things, and then I realized when I wanted to start creating my own sorts of projects, I had developed the skills that would let me do that. So, 1997 was the first season of the show South Park. Um, and I, of course, being an adolescent boy, thought that it was the coolest thing that had ever happened in the world. And so I was able to use the HTML skills that I had learned and was continuing to develop along with new Photoshop skills that I was learning and things like that to actually build out 
uh, a South Park fan website, which led to this me becoming part of this great community of like content creators in 1997, whatever that looked like back then. Um, and it really, it really ended up shaping, um, my, my, my adolescence in a way, you know, to, to be able to create that stuff and, and weirdly find community through it. So in a way, then I guess you can say you were, you were almost technically, uh, and there goes the camera, uh, but you were almost technically at the start of the initial wave of when people actually started theoretically doing content. Yeah. And, you know, it was, it was back when GeoCities was brand new, which was um, kind of this, this platform that brought launching and hosting a website to the masses. Um, you could pick kind of what category your content belonged into, whether it was like TV or music or whatever else. And um, they would host a site for you and you could, you know, it was, it was all static HTML that you would upload via FTP. There wasn't anything dynamic about it. There wasn't really a blogging feature other than just updating the HTML and then uploading a new file. Um, but yeah, it was, it was, it kind of democratized content creation on the internet. I, I can't think of anything before that, that did that on that level where anybody could upload whatever interests them and suddenly they were on the internet. So because I have to ask now, cause you mentioned the MySpace. Yeah. Were, were you on board with all of that initial, uh, the initial MySpace breakup when people started making their own profiles? Oh, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was great. Um, you know, I, I loved it just as a, as a tool to socialize with people. Um, you know, there was also like this component of, um, you know, MySpace let you personalize in a way that wasn't always great by design standards, but still let you express yourself in a way that was hard to come by before then. Like to be able to customize your background and to be able to add music. I mean, we were adding uh, MIDI files to our, to our GeoCities websites back in the day, but it was a lot easier with MySpace to be able to really like convey, this is who I am and like shout it to the world. Um, I feel like that was as, as dare I say, like tacky, it may have looked at times. Um, and there were certainly awful, awful, awful MySpace pages out there. I feel like, you know, I look back on that fondly, definitely. Yeah, it, it was definitely uh, an amazing era. I know when I initially got on MySpace, that's how I made my pretzel money at school. People paid me like a dollar just to do awesome. an awesome MySpace layout. And it's like, oh, sweet. I can go take this to lunch and buy a pretzel. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and like, isn't that the basis of, was that for you when you kind of started thinking about like, oh, I could be an entrepreneur. Like I could, I could actually do this professionally one day. Or were you thinking that far ahead at that point? I wasn't even thinking that far ahead. I was just a kid on the internet who's like, oh my God, this is awesome. I want to make cool <laughs> stuff. And that's all I wanted to do. Granted, that still speaks true today. All I want to do is make cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So in terms of 
how all that got started. Where did that end up leading you um, towards a uh, career pathwise? Or did, or did you even go into that uh, as an initial career? Well, you know, it's funny. I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up, when I was in high school and stuff. And all of my school counselors and all of the, they, they would give you these sort of like quizzes that were like, you know, almost like a personality quiz where it would tell you these are the career paths that you should go into, or this is what you should major in in college. And it always said that I should be a computer programmer. And I always disagreed with that because I was, you know, I was the kind of kid who loved to draw, who loved to um, make things. I was a, a theater geek because like doing theater was the only way that I felt like I could break out of my shell. And so the idea of just like sitting at a computer and typing code felt like a missed opportunity for me. Not that development isn't super creative. It's just creative in a different way. And so I, I was a little intimidated by it and I was a little bit, I just didn't feel like I was quite cut out for it. So I went into school, I went into college to do acting and directing and, and majored in theater um, and actually followed that path for about a decade, I moved to Chicago and did um, commercial voiceover and did, you know, theater and all of that stuff. And I was just as happy as a clam creating things and working artistically and telling stories. And, you know, my, my general opinion was like, well, I'll worry about the money later. I'm young for now. It's fine. I'm going to be artistic and we'll worry about the money later. And... um so ultimately, when I finally decided, like, I need to start making a dollar or two, uh, I had a friend who had just started their own PR agency, and they needed a website. And I said, I know how to do that. And at this point, it was about 2010. So CSS was well in the fold. WordPress was really starting to come up pretty significantly. Um, so I, I got myself up to date on those skills. But then I built the website for that friend. And when you run a PR agency, you're talking to a lot of businesses who need marketing and need exposure and need branding. And so uh, one thing kind of led to another where a lot of these businesses just started saying, hey, who, ma who made your website? And they would go, oh, David did. And I realized, oh, I can make a living doing this. So that's kind of how I fell into doing this professionally. Um, just kind of updating the skills that I had developed in 1997 to get there really quickly. It's kind of crazy because I almost wanted to say, oh, 2009, that was just like yesterday, but it, it was not yesterday. It feels like it. it. It does. It sure does feel like it because I think around that time, you're right, a lot of, a lot of, uh, at least agencies in Chicago, as far as I was aware, started really blooming up. People started building these gigantic uh, empires, for the lack of a better term, and they yeah. really started tackling that Chicago scenery. Uh, and I know there's plenty of well-established names right now, too. But the, the, the interesting thing is I know at least when I started running my own agency, the, the thing I've always had trouble with was breaking out of that shell, trying to have that confidence when it comes to talking to the folks that they either help you with that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, you know, it's, it's kind of a running joke that 
so many of the entrepreneurs I know were theater majors or communications majors or philosophy majors or English majors or, you know, all of these majors that you don't really think that they're going to lead into a traditional career path. Um, but all of us agree that what we learned at that age continues to support us. Um, you know, I am, I am comfortable. I, I, I work with speakers. I am comfortable speaking myself. I'm comfortable getting up on a stage, comfortable talking to a group of people um, because I've been exposed to that so many times in my life. Um, and this is coming from somebody who used to be extraordinarily shy. And it was just, I really think, exposure therapy in a way of just having me keep getting up there and do that until it wasn't scary anymore. Um, you know, something else that that was ingrained in me uh, as a theater kid was storytelling. And I continue to use storytelling significantly in the work that I do with clients. I'm a big, big believer in story brand. Um, shout out to Donald Miller and, hmm. and the story brand framework. It's incredible. Um, you know, it effectively takes the idea of the hero's journey and applies it to, um, you know, not my clients, but my clients' clients so that their content is relevant to their, their cu customers and clients. And that hero's journey, I was reading textbooks about, in, you know, when I was 19 years old. So to be able to apply that in a business sense is, it, it makes perfect sense, but it's, it's a completely different way of applying it. Uh, yeah, the good old hero's journey can, can never forget that one. <laughs> Uh, so that's that's very interesting um and to to the listeners and the viewers you can tell none of this is planned because david did not have an affiliate link ready for the, the course <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right that's right uh but uh so that's that's pretty awesome so while you were starting out in this initial stuff with the pr stuff with your friend did you did you ever have a thought about wanting or were you even still doing theater on the side? Was there a point where you decided to just completely stop and just go full force with the web stuff? Yeah, I was doing theater on the side still. And it was a lot of. Um, so there was one company that I was working with that I. That I continued working with until the very last day that I acted and I stuck with them because I believed in their mission so strongly. Um, so I'm going to shout out another, another organization, um, erasing the distance is a Chicago based theater company and they tour around to high schools, universities, faith centers, um, all sorts of places. And they actually, what they do is they collect true stories of people dealing with, uh, mental health in their life. Um, whether it's things that they're dealing with directly or things that their family or friends are dealing with. They collect those stories, they boil them down into uh, about a 10 minute long monologue, and then they present those monologues, you know, maybe a few of them um, in these settings to kind of just create this conversation around mental health. And then afterwards, there's Q&As and students can come up and, and talk about things. And, um, you know, I know Holly Dowling was your your first guest and she's mm -hmm. delightful. I know her as well. Um, and she talked about kind of 
when she shared her story for a high school and she just kind of realized like, oh my God, this is powerful. Um, I kind of had a, a similar experience there where with all most of the other theater that I had done, it had been sort of, I don't want to say it's about me because it is about the storytelling and about moving an audience and, and all of that. But it had been like, you know, the lights are on me. I'm on stage. Aren't I great? How good can I act? How good of reviews can I get? Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And in the context of what Erasing the Distance does, it was completely, it was not about me at all. It was not about my ego or anything. It was just about presenting the story in a way that was authentic and a way that could resonate with people and in a way that could create change. And that was so, so, so incredibly powerful that I continued working with them. Um, I'm sure the last acting gig that I ever did was with them because even as I, I shed other roles and told my agents, thanks, but no thanks, don't send me on any more auditions and all of those things, I continued working with, with Erasing the Distance for that reason. That, that's interesting. Um, so was there, was there a moment um, while you were with them that kind of like um, an aha moment where it's like, you know what, this, this is probably going to be the last time I do this and I'm going to step away and start pursuing the other career I wanted? Um, you know, it, it wasn't so much anything that, that happened with the theater company that made me say this is the last time that I'm doing this so much as it was my other responsibilities were continuing to grow um, outside of that theater work. So I went from a freelancer to doing some work with um, the Alliance Labs. Shout out to the Alliance Labs. That's where we met. Um, to then being creative director at the Alliance Labs. And so having these increasing responsibilities just kind of made me realize I can't, I can't do all of these things well, and I need to pick what I want to do. Um, one of my favorite, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite quotes that has stuck with me since very, very young childhood is uh, on Sesame Street back in the day, there was a song where the jazz playing owl tells Ernie that he has to put down the ducky if he wants to play the saxophone. This is a deep cut. Um, but, you know, basically in the in the skit, Ernie wants to play the saxophone, but he loves his little rubber duck. So he can't play the saxophone and squeeze the rubber duck at the same time. So the owl basically has this whole song and dance that goes, you got to put down the ducky if you want to play the saxophone. That was my, I got to put down the ducky moment where I was like, if I'm going to really be good at what I'm doing in the web world and the marketing world, I can't continue putting so much time into this other thing. So it was, yeah, it was technically a gradual thing just just sort of happening. And then it sounds like it, it got to the point where you ultimately just had to make that choice. Yeah. Yeah. If and it's, you, you know, I, I, if I had the, well, number one, I don't live in Chicago anymore, but if I had the bandwidth, I would love to still be working with, with that company because they were so good, you know, and they still continue mm -hmm. to do great work to this day. 
that that was funny because that was actually gonna be the question if you had a moment <laughs> would you ever step back and go back into the theater and it sounds like that's a yes oh yeah absolutely yeah you if can, i um, you know if i somehow you know end up super rich in the next five years and just have nothing to do i all of my time will be devoted to different creative arts whether that's theater or visual arts or other things like that will just be what i do all day and i'll you grow can, a really long beard <laughs> you can make videos like the fuck <laughs> awesome guy yeah oh man so good i love their stuff yeah right, each uh, i feel like uh, it was the last two that i saw each each one just gets better and better that's that's gonna be uh you <laughs> in, in post-retirement i would love that yeah so uh while uh, while we met at the Alliance Labs, uh, which is also an, an interesting story as well, because I think uh, around that time, I recently just got out of college and I was starting out this whole freelancing, too. And that's how uh, we've met through there for a little bit of background for everybody else. But I, I remember at one point you did uh, you did break off and started to form your own agency. And that's how this all rolled out. So what what was going through your mind at the time when you decided I, I kind of want to start it? start doing this on my own instead of freelancing yeah um you know i don't i don't want to say anything negative about the alliance labs because they're great and their mission is great and the work that they do is great um but one thing that i realized is the focus was so heavily on the web design and development that um there uh, there wasn't as much of a focus on the creative let's say the the copywriting the messaging the ongoing marketing the um you know the ongoing support anyone can launch a website and if you have some design skills you can launch a pretty website but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to bring more people to that website doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to convert more of those people into leads and sales it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to uh, speak to your target audience super clearly so that they immediately go, oh, yeah, this person's for me. Um, and so I kind of realized I wanted to be able to focus more on that. And so, you know, I started in Tarabang Digital in 2017, and it has been an odyssey. <laughs> it has been a five and a half year um odyssey for sure and i have served different audiences over that time um offered different services over that time but i think at the core it's always how do we do more than just build a pretty website how do we create something that's going to be meaningful for our customers in terms of their bottom line and also in terms of their influence their ability to serve their their audience at the end of the day. Yeah, I know with the Alliance Labs, um, a lot of time, and this still speaks true, they're a, a full development agency. So there's always, that's always the interesting uh, thing I think about a few of this, that there's so many different partnerships of people working together. Like one could be a brand agency, marketing, and then there's fully uh, development. So I feel like uh, for people like you and I, there's, there's really no room for for growth in those situations once we mm -hmm. hit the peak because um, we don't get the full circle. Have you ever thought about 
going to work with a, a branding or marketing agency at all? Or was, or was that thought of forming Interior Bank Digital just something that just happened in the spur of the moment? That's a really good question. Uh, I, I know myself, <laughs> I know that I'm really bad at working a nine to five or an eight to five. Um, and it's not that I'm, you know, incapable of, of like holding down a job. It's just that I, I have found that the flexibility to be able to sometimes work four hours in a day and sometimes work 12 hours in a day, depending on my energy and depending on what's going on at that particular moment, I have found that that is one of the things that I value most in a job and in a career. I mean, right now, I am in uh, my mother-in-law's rented condo in Florida, where she is uh, where she is staying for the uh, for the for the winter time. Uh, my wife and I made a spur of the moment decision to come visit her for a long weekend, and that wouldn't be possible if I was working um, at most traditional agencies. And so having that flexibility, having that, um, you know, I know it's become a buzzword at this point, but work-life balance is really, really critical to me. So I think that's where, (laughs) you know, the joke about entrepreneurs is people become entrepreneurs to work 80 hours a week for themselves so they don't have to work 40 hours a week for someone else. There's a lot of truth to that. There are a lot of times where I go, why do I choose this for myself? But having that flexibility and having that freedom, not only in my time, but also in choosing who I want to work with, you know, um, we have the, the, the nice version of the rule is called the barbecue barbecue rule, which is would I invite this person to a barbecue that I was throwing? And if not, I would not have them as a client. Being able to be that selective is also incredible when it comes to my own mental well-being, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think we've that, all worked in agency be... jobs. I think we've all worked in, in agency jobs where it's like, oh my gosh, I can't. I never, every time this client calls or sends an email or we have a meeting, I just get this bad feeling in my stomach. Like, oh no, what's going to happen this time? And um, it's nice to not not have to subject myself to that. Yeah, that's, uh, that barbecue rule thing though, I think that's, that's, that's going to be the snippet I upload to Instagram and social media. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Um, but yeah, no, that, that whole agency thing, it's... It took me forever to get over this. I'm pretty sure you've had very similar uh, stories as well. But every time that phone rang, it's like, is that my family? Is that my friends? Or is it <laughs> the client that got a hold of my number? And it just looms over you. And all of a sudden, you're frozen stiff. Yeah. Become that ball of anxiety. Uh, and speaking to that extent, too, um, while you were on the journey of kind of uh, forming your, your agency, were, were there moments where you completely stopped and shut down and you were just questioning yourself, like, was this the right choice to make and everything was just falling apart for you? All the time. All the time. Um, there's a great graphic out there that maybe some of your listeners have, have seen, but if not, 
try to find it on Google. It's great, but it's basically the path of, of entrepreneurship and really the path of growth in general. And there's what it, what people imagine that it is, which is just kind of this straight line that goes generally upward. And then there's the reality, which is just all of these loop de loops and, you know, crossing backwards and learning new things. Um, there have been multiple times since starting my business where I have felt like, wow, I am right back at the beginning. I have done all of this work and I've traveled this far and I'm right back at the beginning. feels like you're just circling around back to the beginning. And I don't know where I first heard this analogy, but I love it. And I think it's absolutely the truth is that it's not just circling back to the beginning. It's spiraling upwards. So ah, that's a good perspective to it. Yeah. So it might feel like you're back at the beginning, but you're, you're back at the beginning with all of this knowledge that you've gathered, all of these people that you've met, these connections that you've made, all of these skills that you've built. And you, you know, it's like playing, I remember playing the original Mario Brothers, the original Super Mario Brothers on NES. That's how old I am. And you go, you run into a Goomba, you die, and you learn, okay, next time I'm going to jump over that thing or I'm going to stomp on it. And every time you play, you learn more about how to win. And so I think that it's it's really important as entrepreneurs, as anybody who's listening to this, who's who's trying to create something for themselves, don't don't waste any failure. Every failure is an opportunity to learn how to play the game better and how to get further. And some of my failures, I I owe my successes to those failures. It's funny because the way you described that loop and talked about this too, uh, in a sense, my take on it, uh, and you can quote me on Twitter on this if you want. <laughs> cool. Is uh, the, the more you spiral around that loop, right? It's it's almost like you're building a spring in a way. And once that spring is sturdy enough, that propels you forward. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it, it is exactly, if you drew it out, it would be a spring. So I love carrying that into the idea of like, yeah, it, it absolutely is propelling you forward. Yeah. And with, with that repeated loop, uh, and I know each time you come right back around, did you feel uh like you were getting better each time you did was that something that happened right away or was it something that you've only noticed over time so i am the type of person who left to my own devices will always measure the gap and not the gain and you know effectively meaning i can i can get a b plus and i'm not thinking about how yeah wow, I did so great. I, you know, I had not only a passing grade, but a pretty good one. All I will think about is the things that I didn't do to get an A plus, And I will lament on that. So, you know, I think a lot of my initial learning, I did not appreciate the growth at all. I was mostly hard on myself. I was mostly feeling stuck and not really seeing the light at the end of the tunnel or not really seeing where this was getting me. Um, 
And I think that that's probably pretty common. I think that it's it's hard when there is no one set goal or set finish line as entrepreneurs. It's it's sort of hard to keep moving. It's hard to keep putting effort in. Um, so no, I I think that I think that for the most part, those first couple of years, I just felt like, wow, this is way harder than I expected it would be, and I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Quite honestly, I think that having the benefit of hindsight. Being a few years separated now from those first couple of years, I can I can look back and say, oh, no, there actually was a ton of growth happening, a ton of development happening. There are things that I learned in those first couple of years that I'm still applying today uh, or that were foundational in things that I'm applying today. People that I met. Um, and I think now that I'm more aware of that, I can, you know, I've built up uh, a morning journaling routine uh, and a weekly reflection, and I do a lot more conscious accounting. And I don't just mean doing my finances, but I mean actual like accounting of where I'm growing, what's working, uh, what's not. And in doing so, I think these days I recognize a lot more of the gain that I wasn't appreciating before. Yeah, and I think that's actually very important too because a lot of people, um, I think the best way to summarize this, and I used to fall into that bucket as well, is we, we fall into the trap of be trying to be a perfectionist. And oh, yeah. In a field that's ever-changing like this, there's there's really is no room for being a perfectionist because once, uh, once a project starts, especially if you're in the agency uh, side of things, being hired as freelancer, you have to meet that deadline. There is no such thing as perfect. You have to have that done correctly that first shot around. Yeah. And that also applies to doing outreach. You know, I know that I, for a long time, was hesitant to try to introduce myself to new people on LinkedIn or something or anything like that because I would thought, well, they'll just think that I'm annoying. They won't want to talk to me. Um so I'm not even going to bother or, well, I'll reach out to them in a few months once I've learned more and then I'll be worthy of like reaching out to them. There was a lot of kind of, I can't do this. I can't do, I can't build my business until it's already perfect. And it's like you said, never perfect. So yeah, I, I no, think... no need to wait. The other thing that I found is like you learn by doing Yep. As 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 much as it is it's nice to feel safe just doing research, you know, and googling industry news and things like that and feeling like, well, I'm learning. The best way, and really the only way to really learn is to do it and get out there and meet people and talk to people and otherwise you're just planning. You can't plan forever. Yeah, and I think the that's, that's actually uh, something that rings very true because what I was going to say is I think the quote that really works well that Gary Vee once said that I, I really like is you have to fail and you got to fail fast because the more stuff you do, the more stuff you're going to learn. 
and it, it's almost the exact way with like making content as well which is the, the whole journey of uh, this podcast i know i've been wanting to do something like this for a long time it's like no i want to get the proper equipment i want to plan everything out it's like nope you, you just gotta pick up a camera and just do it so i'm gonna make a weird analogy but that's kind of my thing um do you remember asymptotes from like high school math yeah so so I, i'm gonna poorly explain this what this is now to anybody listening who doesn't know but it's like i remember we would draw graphs and they were parabolas where the line would always approach zero but it would never reach zero because it would always move in smaller and smaller increments i feel like we can do that sometimes we do that to ourselves with our goals where if this is our goal we start out we're moving toward it really really quickly and then the closer we get the more we just find these extra steps these oh well i I also have to have this i also have to have that this isn't quite perfect yet and we add all of the extra steps and our progress slows down so much and we never actually reach the goal and I know in my case, a lot of that not finishing, not crossing that that goal line has been my own perfectionism. Yeah, and to to that extent too, I know recently, well, I say recently, like we're still not sure if we're in and out, but when, when the lockdown first started, um, uh, I, did your business come to a standstill? I know there, there was a brief pause there for a moment right i um i don't want to say i went into panic mode but i very quickly reassessed where i could make money uh i had a few projects that were in the pipeline that were verbal yeses and in march of 2020 by the end of the month every single one of them had come back to me and they said we're not spending money until we know more Mm -hmm. um and rightfully so it was a very you know it it was a moment of a lot of in uh unsurety for lack of a better word um i had one client at the time um shout out to genie walters and experienced investigators um a speaker, coaching consultant on customer experience. And, you know, she already had a, a marketing retainer where we were working together. And I recognized that she was at a point where she could use some more support. And so I more or less volunteered to become her director of marketing and effectively made that my full-time job. Um, for me, it was about safety it was i don't have to go out and try to sell jobs right now when nobody is spending money and nobody is sure of when they will again yeah um so for me it was definitely a move based on safety um but when i look back at it i think that there was also probably i was coming from a a scarcity mindset which I regret a little bit. Um, and it's not that I regret the work that I, I did with her. I've done more work with her since, and she's wonderful and probably one of my top few clients of all time in terms of like people that I love working with. But, you know, I think that to 
more or less completely put my business on the shelf to work exclusively with a single client in that moment, it was a little bit born of panic, I think. And one of the reasons why I've also asked that question too, uh, and, and this this leads up to, I think, uh, a pretty uh, good point of view as well. Do you think putting your agency on the shelf like that and stepping away from it for a year or two help you really come to understand that personal growth journey that you've took? Because I, I would imagine not having to think about that all of the time while you were completely working for Jeannie and then coming back to it. Uh, was there a lot of moments that you were actually able to look back to and see a lot clearer because you took that, uh, that long, uh, not a break really, but a break? Yeah. Um, I think it did, you know, and I haven't really, I haven't really thought about it in those terms. So I'm glad that you asked. Um, we get think, live reflection. Yeah. yeah. What, what a great therapy session this is. Um, I think that, I think that I did, you know, I, I remember when I started in 2017, my own business thinking, okay, well, how do I choose a, a niche and how do I validate that niche and how do I get my messaging out there and how do I meet people and basically how do I get started all of these questions and it took me a while and when I came back to that in really July August of 2022 when I really rebooted the business officially I still had those questions but the answers were there I I knew how to narrow down where I wanted to focus. And I knew how to vet those areas so that I was entering a niche that was actually going to need what I had, uh, you know, to offer. And I didn't, I didn't have to lament about where to find people or how to send messages to them in a way that wasn't going to be annoying because I already knew all of that stuff, you know, it was, um, if, if I can dust off that great Mario brothers analogy that I had earlier, it was like going through a, a warp zone, you know, it was like warping to a later stage in the game and not having to replay all of that stuff at the beginning, because that was already there. Yeah, it's your um, new game plus. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so so it was it was so much easier to get things up and running again. Yeah, that's that's uh that's really great to hear too cuz I know a lot of uh a lot of folks that I've gotten to meet over the course of the pandemic cuz everything became digital at that point because everyone started working home from remote uh which yeah. honestly I when it initially started, I thought um, everything that people have done digitally would have been the first thing to have gone down for some odd reason. I had it backwards in my head, but that didn't <laughs> be the case. A lot of people did get a chance to do a lot of that self-reflecting. Uh, granted, many of them quit their jobs and started their own yeah. businesses too. Um, and to, to that extent, now that you're kind of on your niche routes, how... I don't want to say how much more confident do you feel, but how much more comfortable do you feel in continuing along this agency route now? 
Um, I guess I feel very confident because the question of if of is this the right route for me or is this the right path or what else would I be doing? Um, that question does not come into my mind. Um, it's not something that I'm thinking about. I'm not, I'm not trying to think of contingency plans or, or what else, what else could work. It's just full speed ahead with this. Um, so so yeah, I think I feel pretty good. That's good. So in a way you're, you're almost past David was always future sight and current David is now living in the moment. Would you say that is accurate? Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, I think there's also a component of, I have learned to trust myself that if I learn something new about the industry or, you know, if something changes in general, like if new information becomes available, I believe in my ability to recognize it and respond to it in a way that will continue to serve me and my clients. Um, cause that's always going to happen, right? The, yeah. We're never, nothing's ever standing still. Um, but, but having that confidence of, yeah, things are going to change and I can roll with it and it's not going to be the end of the world and it's all good. Th- having that level of confidence, it just takes away so much of the anxiety. Yeah, I... I can definitely relate to something like that too. And just just so we have a, a good comparison here, do you have um, maybe an experience that you, uh, that you can remember where you didn't have that confidence? What, what, and what was going through your mind then? Oh man. Um, you're, just, you're like, oh man, now I gotta find one out of the million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, I mean, I think, I think when COVID came about, that really was, I know we already talked about it a little bit, but I think that, that was the biggest example of, um, you know, in the span of about two weeks, I went from everything is great. I'm booked out for the next few months. I'm totally confident to, oh, wow, my business may no longer be viable and um you know my reaction to that was to give up on it you know maybe giving up on it is is strong language but ultimately what i was doing for for genie and experience investigators in that larger role that I took on, I would say a quarter of the the actual scope of work overlapped with what I was doing for clients beforehand. And about 75% of it was, I'm just going to respond to what I know she needs and try to develop new skills in real time and try to make this work. And, um, you know, so on one hand, it, yeah, it was adapting, right? It was it mm-hmm. was rolling with the punches. 
But on the other hand, it was this complete abandonment of what I had spent years building. And um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of the example that, that really stands out like a sore thumb because it was it was wild, you know? Yeah. Uh, at definitely uh, interesting times because I knew um, it was a lot easier to get a hold of you back then. But then once you started entering <laughs> that full time gig, yeah, it seems it seems like you were also. Uh, I mean, granted, you were always working before, but then at, at that point, it seems like you were actually always in it now working. So seeing um, the David uh, that was always busy to now the David that's always selectively busy, it's it's an it's an interesting. Um, perspective from my opinion because it starts to it's starting to seem like you're uh and this circles all the way back to the beginning of what you mentioned it's starting to feel like you're now trying to build out that work-life balance for yourself yeah i would say it's not circling back i would say it's spiraling back spiraling back yep <laughs> upward trajectory yeah um but yeah absolutely i agree and it's not just about how many hours am i working in a week it's about what is the work that i am doing Am I doing work that energizes me, that excites me, that is in line with the things that I enjoy doing? You know, I know earlier I said if I suddenly got rich, I would just do things in the arts. Um, a lot of the work that I'm doing now feels like it's adjacent to that. You know, doing design, it lets me be creative. It lets me be artistic. Doing copywriting is is strategic art it really is um you know so all of these things let me do let me spend my time doing things that i enjoy and also it's helping people and that's that's perfect that's all that i'm after um whereas with other jobs especially coming from a scarcity mindset it's just where can i find a buck where where can I find somebody willing to pay me to do something for them? Um, and so that, you know, can lead to doing a lot more admin work, which I spend a lot of time doing, or, um, you know, just things that aren't as fulfilling for me um, in terms of how I'm spending my time. Yeah, and that's that's really great to hear too, because it's, it's almost like... Um... I think the best way to put that to perspective too, it's like when people work on a project, they think an hour has gone by, but because they were so invested in this, having so much fun, it ends up being 10. Yeah, you get into the zone. I love the zone. Yeah, the, the zone is such a great area to work in. And that, I, I, that circles back to your whole nine to five thing too. Because the problem I've had working in nine to five is I'm not very much of a morning person. Like, yeah. if you want me to code out an empire for you, I can only do that during the evenings. There's no way I can do that in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And it's awesome that you know yourself well enough to be able to to put that out there. You know, um, I think I think so many of us are trying to just respond to what is requested of us. And that's fine. That's great. But I think that, you know, my initial years of, you know, I worked in an office job, like a real, a real adult office job for a while. And that was a chance to learn. Okay, this is how I respond. This is what my energy is like at different times of the day. This is the kind of work that I like doing and the kind of work that I don't like doing. Um, you know, there are so many opportunities to learn about ourselves 
and to then be able to, I think the great thing about entrepreneurship is it gives us a chance to really act on those things that we learn about ourselves. You've learned that you are better working in the middle of the night. You've created a situation where you get to do that now. Um, you know, I have learned that I have days where I like to get in the zone for 12 hours and I have other days where I like to go for a hike, you know, because it's a nice day and just not think about, you know, not stare at a screen. And I've been able to create a situation for myself where I can do that. So, you know, it's all about just learning what, how do you tick? <laughs> how do we each yeah. of us tick? And then creating a situation for ourselves that supports that. Uh, as best as possible. Yeah, and I honestly feel like that's the theme of uh, today's episode too, is just perspective. Because a lot of the times, people when, when people are like consistently failing, they, they, they really do often think it's their fault. But in reality, if they just shift their environment or even the perspective just a little bit to something completely different, they, they might be excelling at the same thing just someplace else. It's true. <clears throat> it's true. It's like... Um... There was an old family guy bit where Peter was sitting at the piano and he was playing it and it was just noise. It was horrible noise. And then Lois comes over and grabs him and moves him like a half an octave yeah. up the piano and suddenly everything he's playing sounds perfect. Yeah, that's that's funny. That's a I vaguely remember that clip <laughs> and if I find it, maybe that can be uh what's written or embedded onto the blog version of this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but awesome. So now we're reaching the end of the podcast. And one of the things I like to do here is give uh, the interviewee just a quick uh, minute or two to talk about uh, anything they're working on, advertise, uh, or give some sort of a, a message to uh, the listener and viewers. Yeah. Oh, boy. Um, well, yeah, no, no uh, pressure. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, if you're listening to this and you have and you're an entrepreneur and you're starting out, um, I, I, I am going to offer <laughs> 20 minutes of my time. Um, I am happy to, to get to know you and hear your story and give you my perspective if it's helpful at all to you. Um, so, uh, Tony, I'll give you a link that you can put in the description or, or something like that. Um, but I, I would love to be of service. I know that when I was a starting entrepreneur, I had mentors and people who just helped lift me up a little bit and helped bring me along. And if I can return that in any way, uh, I would absolutely love to. Um, so that's just something that I would love to throw out there. Uh, otherwise, if you're a speaker and you are trying to differentiate your personal brand and get out there and get higher paying gigs, get uh, more exciting gigs, reach wider audiences to make your message more widely heard. Uh, I would love to talk to you as well. Uh, you can visit interrobangdigital.com. If you can't spell that, that's okay. Most people can't. <laughs> you can also, uh, I'm sure Tony, you can you can throw a link in maybe as well. Um, but uh, yeah, all yeah. the links will be in the description. All the links. All the links. Uh, and you <laughs> Everyone listening to this too can also find it on the EXP, spelled out, designblog.com. Uh, the podcast interview and video for that will be up there along with all the relevant links. Brilliant. Awesome. Thank you so much, David. Tony, this has been an absolute blast. <laughs>